Tonight, money and life lessons from the most famous investor of all time. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovec. Most of the time, Steve, you know, I've got a house full of teenagers, and they come home, and they say something, and it is like, it is the law. And I'm like, where'd you hear that from? Take it with a grain of salt. You know, oh, this person is an expert. This person is an expert. They're an influencer. I saw them on TikTok. Somebody on TikTok, yeah. Yes, of yeah. course. They, they, they're yeah. the know-all, be-all. And I don't, I don't put a lick of stock into what most people say, quite honestly. Yeah. Unless that person is Warren Buffett. Yeah. And then I take notice. And then I usually read his quotes several times because it's like, ah, as it washes over you, it just makes so much sense. Uh, the original influencer. Yes. I, I, and, and, you know, he's in his and 90s. And he should be. He's earned that title. You know, and I, you know, you hear stories about Warren Buffett. And by the way, I consider him the best investor ever in the history of this yes. country. I mean, they, but the guy's got such common sense comments. He's like the Will Rogers of, of our yeah. time. Boy, did I just date me. Uh, <laughs> half the people out there are saying, Who's Will, Will who? Rogers? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I, and you know, the, the, the thought is that this guy came from humble beginnings and, and worked his way up. And a lot of that is true. But you know what's interesting is he had so many jobs when he was in his, not even in his teens, yeah. when he was 10, 15 years old. I mean, he wasn't just delivering newspaper. Here's how smart he was. When he was delivering newspapers, he, when he did his tax return at age 15, he actually deducted the cost of his bicycle and his watch because they were necessary. The guy was oh, thinking already. Well I'm done. dead serious. Well done, little teenage Warren. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Always with the business mind, right? But exactly. this is someone who, and we, we this is kind of the, the backbone of the show. When we talk about how to live in a simply money way, it's, it's to not live above your means. Yeah. And Warren Buffett has done exactly that. I mean, the man has got more money than I could ever even dream of. He still lives in the same home in Omaha, Nebraska he bought in 1958. By the way, that house wasn't a million-dollar house no, at that time. He paid $31,000 yeah. for that house. Yeah. Still lives there to this day. Amazing. I, I mean, that that's pretty cool. And, and you know, everybody in the world is is talking about, well, you know, got to move up. We, you know, we, we've got a bigger family. We need a bigger house. The concept of starter house, right? Yeah. You know, everyone says, well, this I'm still in our starter house. Yeah. I feel like we're behind or whatever. He is living in his starter house, right? He is, yeah. And, and that whole concept, that whole mindset, he he doesn't even buy into that. He's living in a house, and it's a I, good house. I can relate to that. We lived in our starter house for 33 years. Yeah. yeah you know, and, and you but save a lot of money when of you that, do that. Yeah. Even the concept of that, yeah. though, it, it makes it sound like you should be doing better, and you're just going to start there, but you're going to end up somewhere else. He always knew this is not a starter home. This is just our home. Well, he he's the type of guy, and I, I can't relate to this part. He, he doesn't think, you know, cars are anything special. They're <laughs> there to get him from point A to point B. I get B. that. You don't. Uh, yeah, exactly. He but, drove the same Buick forever. A Buick. And, and you could say he's a real cheapskate, but, you know, in his, his view, he, he's, uh, you know, let's talk about living below your means. All that that's saying it. is if you make $1,000 over a week, you spend less than $1,000. My parents never got that concept. If they made $1,000 a week, they spent $1,100 and yep. wondered, okay, how are we going to pay off this credit card? But, you know, that's really what he's talking about is spending less than you earn at every stage of your life. And, you know, it's like, how do you lose weight? Well, you eat less and exercise more. How do you get wealthy? Well, spend less than what you make is a good more. starting point, yes. you know, and, and he lived that. He didn't just talk about it. He lived that. 
You know, another thing that he does, which is really interesting, is you kind of take a deep dive into his life. He is not someone. I mean, he's got a lot of people who works for him. He owns a lot of businesses. You know, a lot of people report to him. At the same time, he is not a meetings person. Yeah. He is a do not waste my time. And Charlie Munger, his well-known partner of decades and decades, says kind of makes fun of him. He says, if you were to look at Warren Buffett's calendar on any given Tuesday, maybe there's a haircut for yeah. a half hour yeah. in there. You would think it would be like, you know, Berkshire Hathaway meeting and this meeting and yeah. that meeting and, you know, this Zoom call with investors and blah, blah, blah. Uh-uh. He leaves so much time to think. Yeah. How many of us in their busy lives nowadays actually take time to think? And where do we think the economy is going? And and what are good bets when it Mm -hmm. comes to investing? This guy spends a lot of time just thinking through things. Nobody does that anymore. Crisis management is not a goal in life. Yet yet for 99% of the people, myself included, I think. That's kind of how we live, that, from one that's, crisis that's, to oh, another. Oh, yeah, that, that's just Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and here's, and I see this with a lot of extremely wealthy people, is they 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 set aside time to think. And that is so important because if you don't ask yourself at least once a week, tell me again why I'm doing this right now. Right. Uh, okay, and I think the pandemic taught a lot of people a lesson. You know, all of a sudden you don't have that time spent commuting to work and you're working out of your house and maybe you're finding that you have extra time to do things. And and I think a lot of people rethought, where am I at in life? Why am I doing this? Why am I pounding my head against the same wall at this job? And and that's one reason I think we saw a lot of job changes. You've, whether it's a job change, your your personal life, whatever the case is, taking even 10 minutes out of a day and saying, I, you know, tell me again why I'm doing this. Why am I doing it this way is so important for growth as an individual and for your career. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC as we talk about the best all-time investor, in our, at least in our eyes, and that's Warren Buffett. You know, I, there's TikTok influencers, social media influencers. There's also economists that make tons of predictions that we often revisit on the show and say, yeah. that didn't turn out so well. This is not a man, though, that you can say that about very often. Yeah. Most of the things he touches kind of turns to gold, but there's not, he's super transparent about how it works. There's not this smoke and mirrors about how do you make this happen and right. what is it and how is the investing? In fact, he's not someone who buys into investing in things that isn't really simple, that he doesn't understand completely. I, I think a lot of people think to get rich, you have to come up with something new. You 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 have to find the angle. Yeah. You know, it's like, like the guy at the casino that says, I figured out a system in craps. No, you didn't. You yeah. got lucky. You, you know, and, and um, he's not, Warren Buffett is not big on luck. He He's big on research and understanding the inherent value in anything, whether it's a stock, whether it's something that he needs for his personal, or whatever the case is, he understands value. And one of the big things that he talks about is, okay, stock prices sometimes are, are crazy, either crazy high or crazy low. If you understand what's behind that investment, what it should be worth in its inherent value, then you can determine, is this a cheap price or is this an expensive price? And it's really, uh, in a lot of cases, I'll give you an example. Um, I bought Ford stock years and years ago Mm -hmm. in in the middle of 2008, the debacle, everything goes down. 
Ford was trading at $2 a share, and I, I thought, you know what? If that company doesn't, doesn't go out of business, it's probably going to be worth a little more than $2 when everybody thinks that the world is coming to an end. And guess what? It did go up. Yeah. Now, that's an individual stock. It was play money for me, and it worked out. I'm not proposing Ford stock or you know putting a lot of money in individual stocks, but you know that's what Buffett does on a much grander scale. He looks at the inherent value, and if there's something good going on there and he can understand what the value of that company is, he just may buy it through his companies. This isn't a guy that jumped in on crypto when everyone started jumping in on crypto, even tech stocks, right? He is not owner of Facebook. In fact, he finally bought Apple. But let's face it. I mean, I think by now everyone thinks Apple has a pretty good business plan, a pretty good product and probably be around for some time. He does own, you know, stocks or shares in Apple now, but he was not an early adapter into any of those things. And he's not a trendsetter. Yeah. No, he's not. And I think for so many investors, the point you made earlier, you're thinking, I have to be the first one to get on this, right? Right. I have to be there. There has to be some kind of trick to this. And there's really not. It's it's thinking long term. It's living beneath your means. It's making sure you're investing in a company that you understand and that truly holds value. Uh, All of those things over time have, have really kind of turned out pretty well for him. And, and you know, one of the things, and, and he talks about this an awful lot, is um, overcome your fear of risk. Uh, and, and the way he puts it is, is kind of interesting. It's everything that has risk involved in it. Understand the amount of risk. He, you know, he looks at the track record and says, you know what, in the long run, stocks outperform bonds. Yeah. In the long run, stocks average 10%. His words, not mine. Uh, okay, risk fr- comes from not knowing what you are doing. I, I think a lot of people equate risk in the stock market with today's value versus tomorrow's. Yeah. It's, you know, not where is that company going to be a year or two from now? And when he says long term, he's not talking 50 years down the road. You know, I, 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 I don't know what length of time he's thinking about, but I know it's longer than one day. Yeah. You know, and, and when you buy stock in a company that the company is growing and becoming more profitable, eventually your portion of ownership is going to be worth more. That's all he's saying. And, yeah. and the proof is in the pudding. He's he's done extremely well. Okay, well, when you hear this, and, and this is kind of a universal kind of rule for investing, but sell when the market's up, buy when the market is down. Sounds yeah. so simple yeah. when you say it. Well, of course, that's what you want to do. Well, ask yourself. Have you been tempted this year? Yeah. The market has been down. Were you tempted to sell when the market was down, right? Uh, yeah, uh, a lot and, of people have. And, and that is the exact opposite yep. of where someone like Warren Buffett has found success yep. through the years. You know, I mean, he nerves of steel mm-hmm. because he understands the cycles of the market. He understands the business cycle and how these things work. So years like this year, while uncomfortable, and I'm sure Warren Buffett has lost money like the rest of us probably have in our 401ks, yep. but- he knows long term the American economy is bigger than the daily headlines that we're dealing with right now. Warren Buffett has been around and has been a successful investor a lot longer than my 40 year career. Yes. So I, I have I have heard these things for 40 years. And, and, you know, you adopt some of these things when you you know, when they have truth behind them, when you see the way they work out. And, and you know, I love his comment of be fearful when others are greedy and and, and vice versa. Exactly. And and you know what? When people were starting to get all excited, you know, when when we saw that market markets were going crazy, prices were going crazy, um, I was getting nervous. 
because yeah. I know what Warren Buffett would do. Yeah. And, and, you know, when things are cheap, that's when everybody else is scared. Sound you know, advice. when everybody's scared, that drives stock prices down. And that's when the bargains can be had. I, I, I'll i bring up Will Rogers one last time. Will Rogers said in, <laughs> Twice in, one in, in the, thir- in the okay. 30s when I was a kid, Will Rogers <laughs> said only buy stocks that go up. If they don't go up, don't buy them. Uh, and and think about that yeah. a little bit. But, you know, there's some truth to it. You know, nobody wants a stock that is down because that's during times of fear. And yet that's when Warren Buffett buys and that's how he's made millions. One other point I want to make about him, too, is we talk about, yes, he lives beneath his means. But he also is a big believer in doing what you love because you when you have that yep. money, right? Life is short. And there was this kind of great way that he says, like, do a job that you love uh, because you love doing it. And he kind of adds that or uses the the way of this is like saving up for sex for old age right like i'm gonna have time for that later so we're gonna get to that then he's like spend your money to as you're going and i think it's funny but it also kind of makes sense right like enjoy these things while they're coming but also keep that long-term investor way of thinking about things here's the all worth advice live below your means spend wisely investing for the long term, you're going to reap the rewards just like Warren Buffett has. How much life insurance do you need? We're going to tackle that, plus whether it's whether it's better to buy or lease that next car next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovac. If you can't listen to Simply Money every night, subscribe to get our daily podcast. You can listen the following morning during your commute at the gym, where you won't see me. And if you think your friends could use some financial advice, tell them to search Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you find your podcast. Straight ahead at 6:43, the signs you'll run out of money in retirement. You know, everybody's got questions about money. What's yours? Email us at Ask simply money at allworthfinancial.com or use that red button that you can click on while you're listening to the show on the iHeart app. Just record your question. It gets to us. We listen to those free advice. Here today to help is Allworth Advisor Steve Ruby. Hey, Steve, we've got some questions we want to run through. And John in Mason is asking, I recently started listening to the show and I'm trying to pick up on some of the investing concepts you talk about. How do I pick which companies to invest in and which ones not to? Good question, John. Uh, My gut reaction is to turn it around on you and ask, why do you want to invest in individual securities? Yeah, it sounds like he's talking about stocks, individual stocks. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I read that. And and Steve, do you invest in any individual stocks in this day? I literally twice in my career, and that was play money. That was money I could afford to lose. And and I, I, I that's. That's what, you know, I, my concern about individual stocks is you might have something like an Enron, and all you need is one stinker, and it could crush you if you put serious money into it. I'm, I'm much more comfortable with mutual funds and ETFs. Yeah, folks that I work with in this day and age, you know, they, they're always asking me, can my 401k go to zero? Yeah. And ultimately, when you have diversified mutual funds inside your 401k, the answer is no, unless the global economy turns on its head. That's not going to happen. With an individual security, just like Steve said, Enron tells us a story that is not a good one. So I would ask John, why do you want to? Yeah, exactly. And and, and the point about mutual funds and exchange-traded funds is, all right, if you do have a stinker in there, it's one of maybe 300, 400 different stocks. So if it goes bust, you don't even notice it, you know. So that's it's just a, a risk reduction strategy by using investments like that. All right, Alex in Bridgetown is asking, I'm thinking of leasing a car, but everybody tells me it's a bad idea. 
How come it's a bad idea? What do you think? I mean, at the end of the day, do you want to drive a car that you can afford? Because if you want to, then here's your opportunity. You lease it. Now, that's that's not the whole story. You buy a car, you own it at, at you know the end of uh, end of the term, um, leasing it. What you're really doing is you're 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 paying for the depreciation of the vehicle. And in recent history, with global disruption and supply chains, chip prices went up, vehicle prices went up. It gave people opportunities to actually turn around and sell that lease at the end of the term when they bought out of it, earn a profit. Have you leased vehicles before, Steve? I, I have, and and they've kind of worked out for me. I I, I um, one I'm thinking of. I bought after my lease was up because I really like the car, and okay, I, I'd like to own this for a longer period of time. Um, I, I think the problem with leasing a car when people say it doesn't make a lot of sense is. Are you really buying a car that you can't afford and this is the way that you can get into it? Well, that's why most people are leasing is to get a car that they couldn't afford to buy otherwise. And and that doesn't make financial sense. And, and every salesman in the world is going to tell you, um, you know what, if you take the money that you would have put down on that car and instead invest it, you'll be better off. You know what percentage of people do that? Zero. Zero. Yeah. yeah. It's a way for a salesman to sell a more expensive car than most of the people he deals with can afford, you know. So I, I'm not a big proponent of leasing, but the times I've done it, it it's worked out for me. So I, I think that's a personal decision for yourself, uh, Alex, and, and just don't do it to get into a car that you couldn't otherwise uh, afford. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Steve Ruby, and we're going at, uh, we're going over your questions, answering things that you want to know. And Kathy in Green Hills asked, and I think this is a good question, she's got four kids, age 10, 12, 15, and 18, and Kathy wants to know, how much term life insurance should I have? Is there a ballpark number? Kathy, I, I like that that she asked uh, the question about term life insurance because at the end of the day, when you make comparisons and costs between term and whole life, for example, you're going to get uh, 10 times more at that premium. With four children between 10 and 18 years old, there's a lot of expenses on the horizon depending on whether or not you're paying for college, for example. Um, you know, rule of thumb, maybe a, a million, but between a million and two million worth worth of premium. Why, why do you come up of, with that number? Where does that come from? Covering college, covering missed wages, yeah. It's expensive to raise kids. And, exactly. and, and, you know, if you're out of the picture, mate, you know, whatever the reason is that you're not around anymore, that's money that you can't earn that otherwise would provide for your kids. And, and you start throwing college into the picture. I mean, four years of college alone is, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars. And if you've got four kids and want to make sure they're covered until they're out of college, it's going to take a lot of money. All you have to do is shop for what's the cost of a million dollars of term life insurance versus either universal life or whole life, and you're going to see a monster difference in in cost. All right, Uh, Peter in Arizona says, I'm a transplant from Cincinnati and still listen to your podcast. I've been working at my current company for two years, thinking of changing jobs. Um, Somebody told me I might not get my company match if I leave. I don't understand (coughs) why. Help me out. Vesting schedule. Think of it as your golden handcuffs. When you put money into your 401k, that money is yours. When you get a match from your employer, oftentimes there's a vesting schedule. Maybe you get 20% every one year for five years before you walk away with that that company match. So that is something you certainly want to look into before you make any decisions about changing jobs because maybe you finish out the year and you get 20% more. 
Okay, so the money you put into your plan, that's your money. It is. I, I, I mean, you never worry about that going away, but the money the company gives you, yeah, that may very well have a vesting schedule. Ask human resources. They'll be able to tell you, yes, that's yours also, or only a percentage. Coming up next, the important do's and don'ts of including your in-laws in your estate planning. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. We are the talk station. Listening to Simply Money, I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. You know, you often hear of relationships between uh, people who get married and their in-laws. Sometimes they're shaky, sometimes they're great. And if you are those in-laws and you are planning your trust, your will, uh, do you leave something to your son-in-law, to your daughter-in-law? Joining us tonight to look at this sticky issue is, of course, our estate planning expert from the law firm of Wood and Lamping, Mark Reckman. Mark, you know, I've seen both cases. I've seen where um, people have an amazing relationships with their sons and daughters-in-law. I've also seen the exact opposite. I'm sure you have, too. Well, that's right. And whether you include them in your estate plan is entirely a, a personal choice. Yeah. Uh, some folks really love their kids' spouses, and they want to include them. And that's fine. It's easy. It's completely doable. Okay, so where do you get started in even determining whether this makes sense for you, right? Because I think for a lot of people, even if you really like your son or daughter-in-law, you're thinking, well, if I'm leaving money to my children, they're going to benefit from that as well. Well, that's right. And, and the majority of people do not include their in-laws. And there are a few different rationales for this, Amy. Uh, the, probably the most common rationale is my son's wife has her own parents and her own grandparents, her yeah. own line of inheritance. My son is not included in their estate plan. That's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Or another rationale is I'm leaving money to my son. That is one household, and everybody in it will benefit from that gift. I do not need to itemize my daughter-in-law, too. And if I do, if I put her name on that inheritance, it could lead to conflict between them over how the money is used. Mm. Um, a third rationale, which is the most common, I don't know what's going to happen to my child's marriage. And commonly people feel like money comes down through the bloodline and they want to keep it in the bloodline. Mm. Although I have also seen times when that son-in-law, that daughter-in-law, is maybe even closer to the family, to the parents, than their actual child. I think of caregiving situations where maybe a daughter-in-law is taking care of a a sick mother-in-law or a sick father-in-law, and they become incredibly close. Uh, What about those kinds of situations? Well, that's absolutely right. There are many wonderful relationships, uh, in-law relationships, and caregiving is a a big factor. My, My my wife was the primary caregiver for my parents in their older years. So this happens all the time, and so there's lots of good reasons to vary from, from the common practice. If you do go that route, um, there are a few things you can do to sort of um, um, make it easy. <clears throat> One is to simply include them uh, along with your son or daughter as a, as a um, person to receive the, the gift together. Um, and that's all good. But... Probably equally common is the parent who doesn't get along with their daughter or son-in-law at all, and it could be personality. Mm-hmm. I had a case on my desk uh, about a year ago where the, the parents were convinced their daughter-in-law was a communist, and oh. that was so offensive to them that under no circumstances did they want her to ever benefit from this money even for a dollar. And how do you protect um, your money when this person is married to your child? Well, there are a few choices. Uh, number one, you can leave the money to your own child and in, to your own child only. 
Now, in most states, that money will then become your child's separate property. If you tell your child not to commingle the inheritance with their spouse, then it will remain that child's separate property. Now, that's not terribly reliable um, because it's only as reliable as your kids are. Yeah. Uh, another common practice is to leave your child's inheritance in the trust and you appoint your own child as the trustee of that trust so that he or she is in charge of her own money, but it's kept in a separate fund. Now, this provides some protection. It's not rock solid, but often that's enough. Um, understand, of course, that your child could be pressured to take the money out of the trust. Um, and even if your child is strong enough to leave the money in the trust, it can still be a point of conflict with the spouse. Probably the safest um, method would be to live, leave your child's inheritance in a trust with a third-party trustee. Mm. That offers the greatest protection. It takes your child off the hot seat. However, it does. It, it, it's expensive. You have to pay the trustee for managing the money. And you could be sending a message to your child that you don't trust them or that uh, there's some problem. And often people don't want to hurt other people's feelings. I was just going to say, there's the legal aspect of this, Mark, but then there's also the relational aspect of this. I mean, when you someone bet. feels really strongly about something not being left to a, a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law, uh, how does that play out with their own relationship with their kids? I imagine it, that can be really tough. Well, that's right. And, you know, many people take the attitude, it's only money and I'm going to be dead. Other people say, uh, this is money that I earned or that it came from my parents and, and I want it to stay in the bloodline. Uh, this is a really emotional flashpoint for mm. some people and not so much for others. So, Mark, when people are thinking through estate planning, there's just so many different scenarios. Um, I think for many people, it's you have the strong feeling about whatever it is, right? Maybe if you're in a second marriage or it's daughters-in-laws and son-in-laws or grandchildren, whatever it is, um, what's the best thing to do? You know what you want, but maybe you don't know how to do it legally. Um, I know obviously finding an estate planning uh, attorney is, is the first step, and then they've probably seen just about everything like you have, right? Well, that's right, and, uh, and I think communication is the key. It starts first, though, by sitting down and, and talking with your spouse or thinking through your own, if you're not married, thinking through your own wishes and decide what the big picture goal is, and then meet with a lawyer and find out what the options are, because sometimes knowing what your options are helps refine your thought process. A trust is a very, very common tool to implement these kinds of things. If we're talking about um, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars or more, um, you know, if you're talking about $100,000 or less, trusts are less commonly used. But a trust is a great way to set up a separate fund that can be managed separately and maintained separately uh, so that everybody knows where it comes from and everybody knows what the rules are regarding its use. I just think when people hear estate planning, it sounds like you need to have millions of dollars. Um, but, but correct that. Well, that's right. Uh, estate planning actually applies to any asset, yeah. any money, whether and particularly people who own a home. Nowadays, real estate is uh, the, probably the largest part of a lot of people's estate, but that's real money. Um, mm -hmm. And so regardless of the size of the estate, you still want to be clear about who gets it and what, what conditions, if any, are placed on it. So much to think through, but the key is thinking through it, talking about it, and then taking action with your own estate planning. Great insights, as always, from Mark Reckman, our estate planning expert from the law firm of Wood and Lamping. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. 
You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Steve Sprovac. Do you take a lunch break? Why it's so important that you do, that's coming up straight ahead. Yeah, You know, in a perfect world, your money's going to outlive you, but that's not always the case. There are some important signs you can identify early on to know whether or not you're going to outlive your money. I know this is something I have seen many times over the years when somebody walks in, and that's usually their first question is, Am I going to outlive my money? Will I run out of money during my lifetime? Well, joining us now is Allworth Advisor Steve Ruby. And Steve, I'm sure you've seen this over the years. Somebody walks in and either says, I'm worried about not having enough money, or am I going to have enough money? And man, you might see within 30 seconds, wow, they might they might not. Yeah, I mean, it's a conversation that's one of the hard parts of this uh, career path, I would say, is is dropping heavy news on people about not having enough money, but at the same time, uh, being somebody that we can share ideas with to, to change behaviors yeah. and, and ideally close gaps between where you are and where you need to be to make sure that you don't outlive your money. Exactly. And, you know, I'll run a financial plan and I'll assume, you know, 92 for men, 94 for women. And, you know, I'll get some pushback sometimes saying, you know, I've literally had people say, there's no way I'm going to get to that point. If I live to be 80, I'll be lucky. And my answer is usually, well, what if you got the worst luck in the world and you're healthy and living well and you're going to live past 80, shouldn't we plan for that? Oh, yeah. I say we, we plan for the worst in yeah. all scenarios, not not just with investments. And the worst being that flow. you live yeah. a long time. Worst case yeah. scenario, you live. So the folks that I work with, I think they're, they're going to kick the bucket at 80. I ask them, what are they going to do if they live to 110? Yeah, exactly. And worst case scenario, you're going back to work when you're, you're 88 years old, and that's no fun. When right. I retire, I want to stay retired. I have no desire to go back to work and become a barista when I'm 90 years old. Well, you don't want you, won't, you don't want to start practicing saying welcome to Walmart when you're 80 years old. Exactly. Yeah, you know, so okay, how do you identify that and and what do you do? You know, if if you're it's obvious this person is spending themselves down to zero and if they live past let's just say 75, they've got problems. What what do you do? I mean, that's why we build financial plans. Show them the numbers. Show them what happens. Ask questions. What's the who's the oldest person you know? Yeah, I've got people that I've been dealing with 20, 25 years that are well into their 80s. Exactly. Yeah. It's a scary thought, outliving your money and and making sure that you don't underestimate your life expectancy is the first point that we're going to make. Okay, so so all right, you you've got a plan put together. Your your advisor says, uh, okay, if everything goes smoothly, um, you should be good no matter how long you live. Except there's one problem: you don't have long-term care insurance, mm-hmm. and and it's only about one out of every seven people even have long-term care insurance. Does everybody need it? Not everybody needs it, Steve. In my opinion, because there are opportunities to to self-insure. Those are the individuals that have millions of dollars. Do I have millions of dollars? No. Am I going to yeah. self-insure? Probably not. That's where long-term care comes into play because you mentioned uh, same same figure actually one in seven. Uh, need long-term care for more than five years, yet half of uh, adults turning 65 today uh, don't have it. Yeah, and, and, and you know that's what, to me, various types of insurance are about. You need life insurance, at least during your working years, to cover what can go wrong. I, I mean, if you get run over by a truck and you're 55 years old and, and maybe you've got a spouse that doesn't work and four kids that aren't in college yet, yeah, uh, your financial plan just went out the window if you don't have life insurance. 
Well, in retirement, life insurance isn't as important, and in a lot of cases, not necessary. Mm-hmm. But long-term care might be a concern. If you've got Alzheimer's in the family, that's a big issue. And what you don't want to do is have the healthy spouse go bankrupt because the non-healthy spouse is in a nursing home for 10 years. And if you priced out nursing homes, that adds up. That's the pur- purpose of long-term care. Private private room. Yeah. On average, yeah. in a nursing home, $102,000 per year. Yeah. So if you're going to self-insure, you better be, be prepared. If you're not, the alternative is long-term care or Medicaid. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac along with Steve Ruby, and we're talking about how to identify problems that you may run into in retirement to keep you from running out of money. Okay, so we've, we've got, you know, a couple things covered. Live within, you know, know your budget, live within your means, have some long-term care insurance if you're not super wealthy and can self-insure. What are some other uh, pitfalls that you can fall into in retirement? Well, a lot of the times uh, I, I work with folks who transition into retirement and, and they start spending more than maybe they thought they were going to. They didn't plan for it. What I call that is, you know, right knocking on the door to retirement, you're getting ready to transition. Uh, you finally open the door up, you have all this free time. Those are your, your go-go years. That's yeah. where you're spending a lot of money. Then you have your slow-go years where you start to wind it down, your no-go years. So when we build a financial plan for folks, we do write that into the plan. If you haven't done that, then you run the risk of spending too much money to yeah. stay social, stay busy. I've, I, I've got something that, that I've unfortunately run across more than a couple of times. You got to lend money to your kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's going to happen. You know, there, there's going to be some problems in life. But when it gets to the point where it's putting you as a retiree at risk of bankruptcy, it's an issue and you've got to address it. Yeah, my daughter's seven, so I, I haven't land, loaned her any money at this point. In the future, who knows? Um, college is certainly. Oh, she'll hit you up. Who's kidding? I'm her? sure she will. Yeah. You know, she 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 does. You know, <laughs> but you know, when when it comes to loaning money to your kids in retirement, uh, a lot of the folks that I work with have questions about college. For example, can I afford to help my my children or my gan- grandchildren pay for their college expenses? When we build a financial plan, I ask them, looking at your your long term cash flow, can your children you know, your children can borrow money for college, but can you borrow money for retirement? Yeah, yeah. All right. Final point uh, I, I think is worth talking about. All right. So you, you're, you're comfortable with the 4% distribution rule, guideline, however you want to look at it. You've got a million dollars in your investments and you figure, okay, um, that'll generate $40,000 a year of income plus Social Security. We'll be fine. How about taxes? Yeah, surprise. You have a big unexpected expense. You need to take out a $50,000 distribution from your IRA. There's going to be a a tax hit on top of that if you have all pre-tax dollars. Here's the all-worth advice. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Get with a qualified financial uh, professional who can help you plan for all of the above reasons. Coming up next, why taking a lunch break is so critically important. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. We are the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. This is, again, one of those things I think that you and I are completely different on. What's that? Lunch breaks. I don't miss many meals. Have you seen me lately? (laughs) I'm not talking about missing meals, but I actually (laughs) think you're really smart and good about kind of setting boundaries for lunch breaks at work. And I'm horrible. I eat lunch at my desk. I don't take a break. I keep barreling through emails and projects and things like that. But... 
There's research out there that shows that your way is actually the much better way. You have way. to. You have to do this. And my wife is a, is a, an example very similar to you. I, you know, I'll go home at supper time and she'll say, yeah, I'm kind of hungry. I, I, I missed lunch. I'm like, what do you mean you missed lunch? Uh, what happened? I, I just got sidetracked. She's busy. She forgot that, to eat. That never happens to me. <laughs> I don't <laughs> Around 11 o'clock, I hear my stomach <laughs> and it's saying, you're not going to miss this one. <laughs> yeah. No, I am not a proponent of missing meals. That doesn't happen to me. But I... I bring them to my desk and I work through it. And in research shows that actually most of us do better concentrating in about 90 minute intervals. Beyond that, our brain is just kind of fried. We all had that feeling before. Uh, So kind of taking this midday break to get away from your desk, separate yourself from those emails, from those projects, from your boss, whatever it is that you need a little break is is rejuvenating. It's, It's good for you to do. And also, Getting up and walking around, getting some exercise, getting those juices flowing, also a good thing. Dana, one of our brilliant, brilliant writers here, has always done it the right way. And she yeah. said, you know, we, we came from this news background where you didn't leave your desk. You were chained to it. Yeah. There was breaking news or whatever. And she's like, no, she would remove herself. She would go into the break room and she would watch a show while she ate. Just to get her brain completely off of work, there's something to be said for well, that. Well, and, and, you know, we're a financial show, but the, and, and we're talking about, you know, eating lunch, but this plays right into what are you doing for your career, how can you be more successful, how can you be more efficient and make more money? And, and I learned this in college, believe it or not. I, I mean, I was a double major and, you know, running around doing, you know, I had a radio show in college, I was pulling tons of credits and, you know, working 30 to 40 hours a week. I was going nuts in college, so when it came time to study time, I had to crunch, and mm-hmm. I made it a point. For me, it was every hour. It wasn't 90 minutes. Every hour, walk away. I don't care how focused you are on the subject matter at hand. Walk away, take 10 minutes, and do something totally unrelated. Might have involved a beer in college. But <laughs> but seriously, but you get, you got to walk away, and, and, and the work life is no different. I don't care how important the project is, what you're working with. You've got to take a mental break. Walk away and then refocus. And I'll tell you what, a lot of times, in my case at least, I approach a solution that I wouldn't have gotten to if I didn't set aside time and do something else during that project. That's you, a you great point. To. Well, I can't tell you how many times you're like not thinking about that thing and all of a sudden it pops into your head and you're like, that's the answer to it, right? Yeah. And as I was sitting at my desk looking at it for two hours today, I couldn't come up with that answer. It's, it's the same thing that we always say about vacations. You know, you feel like this is a badge of honor that you should be wearing if you don't take your full vacation <laughs> days. And we've always said, that's insane. Yeah. You don't gain anything from that. First of all, that's a benefit. There's money tied to that. So you're saying, I don't need this money that you're giving me to take this time off. Secondly, like getting away and recharging and having that break, study after study after study shows it's the best thing for you. Okay, well, we're not talking about taking a week off. We're taking talking about an hour in the middle of your day. Mm-hmm. It makes so much sense to do it. Know yourself. Know the cycle that works best for you. Thanks for listening tonight. We hope you'll tune in tomorrow. We're talking about big changes coming to retirement rules, what you need to know. You've been listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial here on 55KRC, the talk station.